Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. And as you said, this one, um, definitely a lot of hip hop influence here. And yeah. you know, how did you, uh, how did you guys feel about or why did you uh, have vocalists or rappers become so much more prominent? Well, we had um, that was we had parted ways with our longtime vocalist between those records, between Ruckus and Lay for the Future. Farrell had come down with some health issues that that made him basically kind of come off the road. And so we were we were an instrumental we were kind of back to to square one we were an instrumental band again um and we had thrown a lot of love for hip-hop and we didn't really want to just straight up like replace daryl uh with another singer so when it came time to to think about the next record we thought oh what about if we just collaborated with a bunch of different vocalists or rappers and um and it was our, it was, you know, it was something that we'd always kind of, we'd had rappers sit in here and there on the road. People had come out. Um, and it, it was an obvious connection with funk music and rap. So it was, it wasn't too far fetched to, to be an instrumental band backing up rappers. So um, it, it just kind of, when we, when we came up, and also at that point, we were kind of thinking about records a little more conceptually. And we wanted to to not just document what we were doing. We wanted to to have records kind of move us forward in our writing and and as a band and 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 progress through the creation of a record. So um, you know, it was the idea came up of like, well, why don't we in, instead of like finding a new vocalist and and freaking everybody out, why don't we just kind of collaborate with a bunch of different vocalists and put out a record like that? Um, and that was a really fun record to make. And, and that's when we really, to me, started truly taking like the production into our own hands. So did you personally learn like some other skills in that way? Yeah. I mean, through the making of the Ruckus record, because Ruckus was uh, officially produced by this guy, Dan, the automator. And he had sent down um, a couple guys, these guys, the Rondo brothers, to work on the Ruckus record with us. And... That was we had our own studio and that those two guys, Jim Greer and Brandon, they really taught us how to use our studio as a tool to help us create music and 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 record ourselves. So um, 
Ben and I absorbed it the most. Um, a lot of the other guys, some people are just aren't into the studio. Some people are really into the studio and it's just, there's musicians that are like that. Some people are like, okay, you got my part. Cool. I'm out. I'm gone. You know? And some people are like, okay, you got my part. Cool. Do you mind if I just sit here for a while and watch, you know? And so Ben and I were those guys, you know, we, when the day was over, we still like to hang out and kind of work on stuff. So, um, that was the beginning of us, uh, from the corner of the block of really kind of diving in and, and taking the producer role on our own. And most of those uh, people that came in to do the raps and stuff, did you already have those relationships or you got people recommended? Or Yeah, it was a little bit of both. I mean, we had uh, Lyrics Born. Uh, we had had Lyrics Born had opened up for us on tour um, before that record, I think maybe a year or two before that record. And he would sit in with us and he might have been really one of the biggest influences on us thinking of ourselves in that kind of a way. And um, the lyrics born, he kind of helped us with some of the connections. He's a Bay Area rapper, and he um, he brought he helped us connect with a lot of the Bay Area rappers that are on there, which are uh, like Boots Riley and Gift the Gab. Um, and then we just kind of cold called people. Like we really loved Lady Bug from Diggable Planets. Always loved her voice, and and of course we were big fans of Jurassic Five. So. We just kind of cold called Charlie Tuna and and he was down and um, we really didn't have a lot of connections before that record. Um, but it, it it gave us some confidence to be able to do that and to cold call people, which led us to cold calling, you know, Macy Gray. You know, it's like it, it, all these lessons like, you know, we, we used to think, oh, you'd have to know the people. You have to have a relationship. And it's like. Yeah, sometimes you can make those relationships happen. More, more credit to you for doing that. Um, this record, tracks that I really like on it, or um, include, I mean, you know, I like them all. But <laughs> It's all good. But the, I, I love but, your, to hear your, your choice. It's interesting what people like, you know. I love to hear it. Yeah, some of my favorites are Bounce Baby, Hustle Up, and uh, Squ Square Biz, and Tough Love, which is the one that's sort of like a throwback. But that one's just instrumental fire, I would say. Yeah, on that. yeah, uh, that's just a and that one. Uh, I believe Tough Loves, yeah, with Trombone Shorties on that one, and yeah, um, cool variety. And, and that you like uh, Hustle Up, that's cool too, because that was that was a, you know, it's kind of a departure for us. Boots Riley was a very aggressive rapper, um, and and you know, I mean, it was just a different song for us to put out. So it's cool that you you it's a lot a lot of variety there because you like like two instrumentals, uh, Square Biz is the one with with Ladybug, and um, that's kind of a little more of your 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 typical galactic punk. But yeah, yeah, I like that you like the variety. It's cool. Yeah, well, I you know gravitated to rap also because that's where funk went. You know, so right. You know, I wasn't. Uh, I mean, first off, I think and if you're, you're in the funk, from right? The and yeah. had, a, had a big hip-hop scene coming out, you know? Right, yeah. So I was always in Ice Cube and all those kinds of uh, Dr. Dre and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but even New York, too. You know, the NDMCs and the Public Enemies. and Yeah. Um, I think, Robert, that if, you're, if you embrace f funk music to begin with, I think that that signifies you're probably open to, like, some different things because it's such a free form, you know? 
It is. I mean, similar to how, how jam band has a lot of different varieties within it, funk music does too. I mean, there's like uber tight funk, you know, like down to the T, the, the, the kind of uh, tower power kind of thing. Or there's just like the loose and dirty kind of New Orleans funk. And, and there's, a, there's a lot of variety within it. Um, and I think that the thread that kind of brings it all together is just the way it makes you feel. And that it, it kind of either makes your head kind of bob or just kind of makes you do this, like, you know, this little thing. Like, maybe I, I kind of probably look like a dad doing it now or something. <laughs> yeah, just kind of like. like Called the funk like face. Yeah. Do a little dance or something, you know, that like, like you know, because I don't think anybody's really truly been able to define what funk is. You know, I think it's it's a feeling that is is. It's kind of hard to to really define in words, but I think everybody knows the feeling. That's been to its credit and to its disadvantage, you know, that it's so hard to define. It's something that's so special that uh, because it's not easy to pigeonhole, it's been, you know, kicked to the curb in some ways and not, you know, given as broad of attention as, you know, something like soul or jazz or whatever. Totally. so it's it's kind of a double-edged sword, I think. It but, is, uh, but it's amazing. I mean, you hear funk in so much current music, too, even on the radio and stuff. I mean, you know, is this is like, it's it's very uh, prevalent in, in music, I think. Yeah, maybe I, would, I, I just gravitate towards the two that I hear <laughs> that are, are funky, you know. Well, I got a kick out of it because, uh, you know, when I first started going to shows and stuff, you know, I was like the only white face I would see. And then, you know, in the late 80s or 90s, you know, I started hearing funk in like TV commercials and jingles. And I'm like, wow, it's got mainstream or something. This is weird. Yeah. So you were going to see shows like what were you like? What was some of your earliest funk shows? Oh, man, I saw Boosie at the Forum at his peak popularity and uh, 17,000 screaming Funketeers. Wow, because there was a point where Bootsy was bigger than P-Funk, right? Yeah, this was like his peak, 78. Um, yeah. yeah. Wow. Super cool. Nice. Um, and uh, I saw uh, P-Funk, Parliament Funkadelic, do what they were calling the anti-tour in 1978 at a place called the Starwood in Hollywood, which was like a 300-capacity club. And it was unannounced. And I got in there, and they did like a three- or four-hour show mind-blowing wow that was the heyday man that must have been killer wow that was incredible i'm jealous um you know square biz i thought should have been a hit a hit ah thanks (laughs) you know i don't know if you guys ever pushed singles much or thought about it but you know i mean we've been on record labels and and you know it's just like we they would give a little bit of an effort. I'm trying to think what was probably the single off of that record. It was probably the lyrics born song, uh, what you need that, you know, they tried to push on, on in some sorts of ways, but we were never a band that record labels put a lot of money behind. You know, there wasn't just, you know, there wasn't a lot of huge belief like that this band could be gigantic, you know? So you kind of, they kind of gauge like, okay, we think they can probably sell this many records, so we'll we'll give them this much of an effort. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I have these here too. Remember these? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I want to uh, ask you, Robert, you know, what, how would you describe the Galactic Stage Show to somebody that had never seen it, um, you know, earlier on? And then how, how did that progress? That's a good question, too. Um, you know, early on, we had, we had Theral the Houseman to clue it. And he was, you know, 20 years older than us. He was like a, a seasoned soul singer. He would come out in his suits, seven button suit. He came, you know, he wanted us all to dress like the Temptations. And he, he came from a, a different era, you know. And, uh, and but, but he had some, some showness to him, you know. Like none of us really have any sort of showness to us at all. And, uh, and it was, I think it was the thing that really separated us from some of the other bands that were, were starting to, to, to get into the funk resurgence that was happening is that we had this, this singer that was, you know, from that era and he was real and he was, you know, about as real as a guy, you know I mean? He was a real New Orleans dude and, and, uh, and had a voice that, that hearkened to a different era. And uh, so, you know, we would, that kind of built the, the foundation of our, of our live performances. You know, we would, kind of start with a couple instrumental songs and we bring out the featured vocalist uh Theral, and uh and then we go back and do some instrumental tunes we bring them back and and that's kind of been our formula um with all vocalists that we've worked with since then you know i mean even when we brought out the rappers or you know i mean we've toured with with Corey glover from living color and cyril neville from the neville brothers and you know, David Shaw from the Revivalist. Uh, you know, we have we've toured and Macy Gray. I mean, we've had a, an amazing array of, of different kinds of vocalists, but we've always kind of wanted to still retain a little bit of our instrumental side because we we love it and we know that we have a fan base that that likes that side of it. I mean, I have people that say like, "Oh, my favorite part is your instrumental stuff." So, um, but then there's people that like do not hear instrumental instrumental music is music you know there's like some people that are like wait there's no vocals like that's a song you know like it's yeah. just so amazing that that people can be that close-minded in some in some ways you know like they need that vocals if it doesn't have vocals then it's jazz you know there's just nothing else and it's jazz and it's just i don't want to hear it so you know we've always enjoyed writing and and performing instrumental and vocal music they both have a, a deep place in our hearts, you know? So, um, we've just kind of always tried to create a show that, that kind of weaves through instrumental and, and vocal songs throughout the set. Um, and so knowing that, you know, that helps, I think for the, for the person that's never seen us, cause they might just be like, well, where's the vocalist or when is that coming out or what? Oh, wow. They're here and they're leaving. And so that's, it's different, you know, because, most bands are all about the vocalist. And if you were to switch the vocalist in a band, like, you know, Led Zeppelin, okay, we, we're not touring with Robert Plant anymore. It's like, the band would be over. I mean, it wouldn't be the same band. Rolling Stones, like, oh, we're going to get a new singer. We're touring with, you know, a different guy. It usually is the death of a band. And, um, but we've, strangely enough, been able to make a career out of constantly... <laughs> collaborating and changing vocalists and and kind of putting the focus around the rhythm section very different unique 
maybe it's been a, a thing that's that's held us back, but it's kind of just who we are. And well, and you've you know also just such variety in it. You know, like you said, the old school kind of guy, the rappers, and then you know uh, more recently when I saw you guys at the uh, I don't know if you can see this the One Nation uh, tour a couple of years ago out here in North Carolina. Um, you guys had the female vocalist. Yeah, Erica Falls was in it. Yeah, I remember that. That was at that uh, at, like small. It, it was like an amphitheater, right? Yeah. That was a nice night. That was yeah. awesome. And uh, yeah, I remember that night well. I remember going out in the crowd. It was funny because that you know we were on that tour for about six weeks, and I never got tired of hearing P Funk. Like I would go out pretty much every night into the crowd and go watch them. And they played, you know, pretty similar set, but it was just so good. And it, it's really interesting with those guys, you know, like they, it's, it's, I mean, when they go into those, some of those old cuts and stuff, it's just like, oh man, no one can play it like them. You know, no one, even though it's not even really probably any of the original guys, it still just has the, the, the George Clinton kind of, you know, at the reins and, and directing everybody. And I thought he sounded actually better than i had heard him in years so i was really impressed i thought he had a lot of energy on that tour um and that that was such a fun tour we had a great time it was amazing yeah the the biggest downside of that was there was a curfew at that venue oh right and you know that was that was an odd thing too that p-funk they decided you know they wanted to bring out four bands it was either three or four bands and i'm like well p-funk alone is pretty much can do a whole night on their you know but they wanted to to present, you know, more music and stuff like that. And I know um, that they didn't get to to play as long as they normally would. That was the first funk show I bought uh, brought my son to. Fifteen, might have been fourteen then. And uh, so his first funk concert exposure included Galactic. Nice. I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> um, so. You know, you mentioned about George and P-Funk and how they sound. I agree with you. You know, I, I've seen them, you know, throughout the decades and years. And the 90s at times was a little rough. Yeah, you know? I agree. There was, you know, he. I think they were all just a lot of drug use going on. And it was just kind of, uh, just kind of, there wasn't, there. he wasn't, I don't think, fully at the realm of, 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 um, of a leadership, you know. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, just to be honest, yeah, I agree. I, and that was when I first kind of started seeing them was in the 90s. I, I didn't really get to see them too much before then. And, um, you know, I mean, I thought they sounded I thought they sounded really good in the beginning of the 90s. And I think there was a, a rough patch in the late 90s. And then I, I was really happy to when we went back out on tour with them and that they sounded so good. Yeah, and you mentioned about you know bass players that really hold it down but aren't that flashy. Lige Lige Curry, who does their bass playing now, I mean that's the kind of guy he is. Oh, he is so good. He was such. I mean, he is. Oh my God! If I wasn't in the crowd, I was behind his bass amp <laughs> and just like checking him out. Oh my God! It's such a cool guy. And he actually, you're right. He he's one of the original dudes. He I, he wasn't re, didn't record so much with them, but he. He's been touring with them for decades. I mean, he yep. was, he was, uh, I always called him the chic because he used to wear more of a, like a chic Arab outfit right. um, back in the day. 
and and uh and it took me a minute because when we first the first date or two we were on tour i was like wait oh that's the same guy that you know i would see in the 90s and uh yeah he just man he sticks to that groove and it's just so good such a great player yeah he was actually at that, I think he was at that show I mentioned from 78 or 9 that was at that small venue. That was like when he first started with them. Gosh, he'd been, I mean, that's 40, you know, yeah, that's a long time. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so you guys really started to change it up with, um, you know, the successive albums from where we were last talking with uh, uh, Yokama May or however you say Yeah, Yak- Yakame. Yakame. Yeah, that's like a New Orleans uh, kind of a like it's it's this soup that that they make here in New Orleans and it's made with like kind of ramen ramen noodles and then a bunch of kind of like a gumbo but more of a Asian gumbo and so it, it's called Yakame and we thought you know that was kind of our New Orleans love letter letter album you know we collaborated with all New Orleans artists on that record and we thought that. It was in some way, it was a gumbo, but uh, gumbo gumbo just sounded too overused to us as a title. You know, it's like anytime a writer says like, oh, you guys are a musical gumbo, we all kind of roll our eyes because it's just, it's too easy, you know, to say that. So um, we thought that the title Yakame, in a way, had the same meaning um, and that, that it was our musical musical yakame of of, uh, of collaborations with new orleans artists your stew yeah 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 it was our stew exactly there you go um that one was definitely more soul less hip-hop and uh i really like dark water and nice. um heart of steel yeah yeah that was uh, I, I mean both of those tunes it's funny because dark water is one we didn't we didn't really play that was one that that really worked on the record and didn't translate to the live setting so well. It just kind of has a, it just kind of like, I don't know. It just didn't really fly live as well. But, um, but I love that recording of that song. And then Heart of Steel has become a, a staple um, in our show. And that was kind of one of our bigger songs. And to be able to collaborate with, with Irma Thomas. Whoa, that was awesome. Yeah. So did you already know her or somebody connected you guys? Um. We connected. We just, uh, again, it was a cold call. Uh, we really didn't know her. And truthfully, one of the biggest feathers in our caps is that Irma Thomas performs that song in her live set with her band. So we wrote a song that became one of Irma Thomas's staples in her, in her show. And to me, you know, she has so many classic songs. She's been around for decades. She's, you know, Queen of the Queen of the Soul, New Orleans, you know, New Orleans Queen of the Soul. And 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 to have her take a song that, that we wrote and now become one of her staples is it just it's amazing to me that 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 we that she, you know, liked the song that much. She always said, It's funny, I, I, I saw her the other day and she's like, We gotta write another one of those songs. You all make me sound so young. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a nice validation right there. Oh, man. I mean, you know, it's like sometimes you're wondering, okay, we got the singer in here and, you know, we hand her the lyrics and, and the melody, you know, and she's kind of like, all right, I'll just do this, whatever, these guys, whatever. But to, to know that she really enjoyed the song that much 
uh, really meant a lot to us. Very cool. And uh, Car- Carnival uh, Electricos. Electricos, yeah. So that was the um, next one. Uh, very tribal, bright, brassy, and obviously, you know, Mardi Gras sort of tribute. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, and trying to, you know, connect the dots between Brazil, Mardi Gras, and, and Louisiana's Mardi Gras, and, um, and trying to stick to the concept, you know, the whole time of, of really either lyrically or musically um, trying to connect those dots. Into the Deep um, kind of brought you more back, I would say, closer to like the ruckus type of deal. Yeah. Yeah. Very observant. Yeah. I think I think we had, you know, gone so far into the loops and hip hop and stuff like that. And it was just like we wanted to make a record that felt a little more like us playing in the room together again. So um that was somewhat of the of the cohesive uh, concept behind that record for us, and and we also really hadn't played or written, um, you know, any any ballads or anything like that before. I guess maybe we had gotten older. <laughs> you know, ballad was like a like a bad word to us in our twenties. You know, and then um, the song, you know, into the deep, which we. Uh, we wrote with uh, David Chaff and the Revivalists and, and Macy Gray, that uh, Macy Gray performed, um, it was kind of a departure for us. And then also, uh, Does It Make a Difference with Mavis Staples? Um, we hadn't really written music like that before. And uh, strangely enough, I mean, on our Spotify, those tunes are, are, are some of our more, you know, in our top five songs that people listen to. So they, it's become, I don't know if we're known for that now, like, you know, kind of a ballady female vocalist song, but we have like of our, of our top five songs on Spotify. Um, it's, it's into the deep. It doesn't make a difference and uh, going straight crazy, which is also, you know, kind of a, kind of a slower, mellower song. Mavis, one of my all time favorite. She was such a joy to work with. Ben and I flew up to Chicago, um, recorded her and um just such a professional came in with a great attitude wanted to just get the song right you know she could have easily been like all right guys cool that's all you get you know and she just wanted to make sure we were happy um and just beautiful hugs and kisses all around and we did have a connection with her we had she had actually sat in with the band um in New York City, maybe 2003 or four, or something like that. Um, and we had run into her over the years. I remember running into her in Australia at an airport. Always just really sweet and amazing. And we've obviously big fans of, of hers and, and the staple singers and stuff. So, um, you know, we when it came time and we had that song um, in the, you know, written. And we were trying to figure out who was going to sing it. Uh, she was at the top of our list. And luckily, she said, yeah. Wow. <laughs> On that record, I really love um, Long Live the Borgia- Born. Borgia- the Born, yeah. Born, yeah. Long Live the Born, uh, which yeah, is... Uh, it's, uh, lake Born is, is a lake uh, 
it's Lake Pontchartrain and then there's Lake Bourne. So it was originally Long Live the Bourne. And then we had the idea of just spelling it Bourne as the lake, you know. Stupid. We, you know, when you're <laughs> coming up with instrumental titles is like, it's you could be whatever you want. Well, you had to do that just so I would mispronounce it, you know. <laughs> uh, I, I, I dig uh, Dalla Diva, which nice. is a jam, yeah. uh, and, and Domino. Oh, yeah. I love Domino, too. Ryan Mount Blue, such a great singer, great songwriter as well. He's, uh, he's really, uh, that, I love that tune. I thought that came out really cool. Nice. Absolutely. Good choice. Uh, and then since then, you had the uh, Already Ready Already, which was more of an EP, I, I would say. Yeah, it was shorter. Um, uh, and yeah, I mean, you could say it was an EP. Uh, it was officially enough to be a, an LP, but it was, uh, yeah, it was, uh, that was also a really fun record to, to work on and kind of, kind of the combo of all the things that we had been doing and we just kind of wanted to and, and constantly are always trying to further our songwriting. Well, I kind of like, um, going, going straight crazy. Yeah, that was, that was a great, I mean, when we hooked up with princess Shaw, um, she had recently moved to new Orleans and she has actually this Netflix documentary about her and, um, an amazing story. And, and, She's she's quite a she just has this this thing in her voice that's so unique, um, and yeah, she just kind of crushed that one in my mind. And um, we actually have another song with her that's in the can uh, that we should. We've been kind of holding back releasing music during COVID um, because, sadly enough, it's like you kind of want to use releases to to kind of further your touring and stuff like that. So. We have, um, you know, about half of a record in the can, and, and we're hoping to release it before we start touring again in the summer and fall. Cool. I'll definitely look forward to that. Just another thing to hate about the pandemic is holding back galactic tunes. I know. I feel weird about it, but it's especially in the height of, of I mean, the pandemic's at a height right now still. But in, you know, in, in May and June, it just seemed like, everybody was so focused on so much other stuff if, if it be politics or the, the coronavirus and 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 we just didn't want to release something and then either not be able to tour behind it for what what would have been a year or so um and or it getting lost in the shuffle you know i mean a way that that you kind of bring attention back to your record is being on tour and people writing about it and rolling through a city and and all that so uh business wise it just didn't seem to really make sense to really release any music throughout that time but it's coming excellent speaking of business and i have this here which is kind of related oh right um, that was yeah that was a record between uh late for the future and uh ruckus right yeah so saliva to patinas which obviously you guys had played there so many times and then you ended up owning it so uh why and what's going on with that <laughs> Uh, you know, I've been asking myself why a lot this year, <laughs> uh, you know, um, it, it, you know, it, it's a club, you know, we've loved New Orleans loves. It is like the, 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 the best club in New Orleans and in our minds, even before we bought it, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it, it has such a history 
it's it's an iconic venue worldwide um but it the the owner at that time he it just was starting to to kind of fall and he was in some financial problems he was kind of not we we knew it was becoming apparent when he he couldn't pay us after our new year's eve performance which was a sold out new york new year's eve performance but there was no money to pay us so we were like oh we saw the writing on the walls like something's going on with this guy and the club so that kind of opened up a conversation with the owner and which took the conversation took about 10 11 months um for it to fully come around to where he um would sell it to us so um and and truthfully we started the conversation without really even knowing if we could buy it i mean we didn't know if we could convince a bank to lend us the money it, you know a band is not, not the easiest sell to a bank you know like hey sell a lend a band a bunch of money to buy a nightclub it doesn't sound well, that's like where you pull out that tulane degree it is yes that's where you 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 know, and they met us, you know, we met with a lot of bankers um, and we had to kind of show that that we were uh, worthy. And and I think Stanton in one of our meetings with with the, one of the with the SBA who ended up being the, the banks that that lent us the money. Um, and I thought it was it was a great analogy. I mean, I love analogies, as you can probably tell through this conversation, but uh you know, he said, you could look at Galactic as that we have been on basically a board of directors for 25 plus years together. And who would you rather lend money to? A group of people who have never worked together and who could combust after owning a club or, or a business together after a year and they, they figure out they have a lot of differences and they can't work together? Or... Would you rather lend it to, you know, a group of five guys who have through thick and thin stuck it out together and and been able to figure out and work through our differences? And and we have our, our, our flow and we know, you know, how to move forward and how to get stuff done. So I thought that was a, a really poignant uh, statement that Stanton made and it really struck a, a chord with me. And, and it is true. You know, I mean, like you, you hear this all the time with business partners that 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 don't see eye to eye and they figure it out after they've actually purchased a, a restaurant or whatever it is, or, or started a business. So, I mean, even, even Facebook, you know, stuff like that, you know, you have the, the founders that, that, that didn't really see eye to eye and all that. So, um, you know, we luckily convinced, uh, the SBA that, that they should lend some money to a, a band in, uh, in New Orleans. And, um, and everything was going pretty good, you know, until uh, March 2020. And then it became the big like, oh, my God, did we just make the worst decision in our lives? And um, and it was a really dark time. You know, I mean, it was it was really losing a lot of sleep. And, you know, not only were we a band that couldn't tour, we now owned a club that wasn't open. So it was, it was tough and it still is tough. You know I mean? It's, it hasn't been easy, but we've been able to try to figure out a couple different ways to, to use the club, either, you know, creating virtual performances and, and then, and throughout this year, we, 
we've all really seen how much Tipitina's means to people. And um, the outpouring of support has been extremely heartwarming for us. And, um, and, and now, you know, Congress passed the Save Our Stages Act, and, 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 and hopefully we will be able to participate in that. And, um, and things are looking a lot better for us in that respect. Have you tried anything there with uh, social distancing, or do you think that's in the near future? Or? Uh, I mean, as soon as we can, but yeah, you, you we can't in New Orleans. You can't. Um, you still can't. Like bars aren't open, and and there's no there's no live music indoors, and there hasn't been yet. So, um, you know, we will be cautiously moving forward when we can, but we want to do it in a in a responsible way, and we do not want to be known as the club that made moves too quickly. Um, and we were actually one of the first clubs in New Orleans to close down at the beginning of the pandemic. And, um, and we're happy we did that. You know, I mean, we, it was tough. It was a tough decision to make. We had some, some shows that would have done well, but we just thought that the responsible thing to do was to, to get ahead of it and, um, and not create any sort of spreader events. Yeah. Well, good, good for you guys. Um, Last year, I guess the Mardi Gras kind of slipped in right before. Yeah. And it, yeah. And it became known as like kind of a super spreader event. Actually, Galactic's last performance, like at a club, and it was a uh, Lundi Gras night. And that was our last show. And we were about to head out on our West Coast uh, tour, 25th anniversary tour, and in mid March. And literally the morning before we, we were leaving we got a call from our manager and he's like uh we're turning the bus around you know you guys stay at home it's not worth it every club is about to close down and we were like really okay yeah i mean we had already kind of started talking about closing down tipitinas and and uh but we didn't think it was going to last for so long and then it was obviously the right decision and and all the clubs did end up closing yeah well i think you know when this starts to rebound it's going to be tremendous. I think, uh, like you guys have new music. I think, you know, everyone who's creative has been, you know, doing something to keep busy and that we're going to see this outpouring of, you know, terrific, uh, music and, and art and, and all that that comes out of it as the rebound happens. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I think so too. I think there's a lot of pent up, uh, creative energy out there. And, um, and, and I do too hope, on both sides as a touring band as a, and as a club owner that there is, you know, I, I, I saw it during, um, during Katrina, you know, like sometimes you to really, um, really appreciate what you have. Sometimes having it taken away is, is the way to, to make that apparent. And I think Katrina did that for a lot of New Orleanians. Uh, New Orleans people from New Orleans. Uh, Even you uh, have trouble saying it. <laughs> yeah, New Orleans is is it's a hard word to say. So you know, I mean, I think people from New Orleans really, um, you know, we when we we thought we might lose our city in that in that at you know during that hurricane, and and it just gave a, a strong appreciation for for I think everybody here, and um, and I, I I hope that that Corona uh covid's kind of done the same thing for live music you know i think i think i i'm 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 excited to get back to that feeling again absolutely so as we look to uh, wrap this up 
Is there anything that you're especially uh, proud of accomplishing in your career? You know, I mean, getting through and, 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 you know, trying, trying to get through this, this Corona thing as, as I've had to put on a lot of different hats and, um, and it's been, it's, it's been very, I'm, I'm proud of us and I'm proud of the band and I'm proud of the way that we've, we've, we've stayed together throughout this time. Um, it hasn't been easy and, you know, we're still not through it, but we've all tried to become very creative in, in different ways to, to really try to keep Tipitina's going and the band going. And, um, and I'm proud of what we've done so far. And I know we have a long road to still go, but, um, we've really all taken it in, in stride and, and handled it as a, as a group in a, in a very well way, in a very good way. A lot like Stanton said, like the board of directors kind of thing. I think we've, we've really shown that we do know how to work together and how to make progress together as a band. When you guys are in the studio, who's sort of like the, uh, alpha? Probably me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm kind of the band leader. You could say it's not, you know, I'm, I'm always the one that's in the sound check. That's like, okay, guys, we got to do this tune or we got to, you know, like I'm, I just, I'm a, I'm a slightly a control freak. So I think, um, I just have, have over the years become that, um, that guy in the band. And, um, and, you know, I make a lot of decisions for the band and they've grown to trust my decisions over the year, years. Um, and it's funny, you know, like we, we have now we have this like Friday, weekly Friday call um, that we do 11 a.m. on Fridays. And last Friday I had a studio session and I couldn't make it. And, you know, there's other guys have not been able to make the calls um, over over the last few months. Um, but when I couldn't make one, the guys were like, well, then there's no reason to have a call if you're not going to be on it. So, you know, it was like, it was kind of, it was kind of nice. You know, they were like, well, let's just wait till you can do the call. Cause it's like, you know, we can't really do anything without you. So it, it, it was nice. And they've recognized a lot over the years, um, the extra work and the, and, and the, and the love that I put into the band and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I do a lot of the, the songwriting and producing now and stuff like that as well. So, um, it's nice. They've just all kind of acknowledged that I, that I put in, you know, some extra work in, in doing all this stuff. Is there anyone out there that you still hope that you get to work with? Yeah. Robert Plant. <laughs> That'd be cool. Yeah. Have you met him? No, but have a couple of degrees of separation. <laughs> yeah. Not, not, fully but i mean closely you know i know somebody that's met him um yeah i mean that would be amazing um to to be able to work with him i think that would be you know i love like what he's done post led zeppelin as well you know i mean mm -hmm. i love i love the diane crawl stuff he's done i think he's just really cool really uh versatile guy and uh iconic voice for sure yeah, well, he didn't sit still. He definitely tried to do other stuff, you know, also. Mm -hmm. so. um, but, hey, there's another cold call for you. <laughs> keep the cold calls going, right. <laughs> All right. Hey, well, how can uh, everyone keep up with uh, Galactic and maybe yourself as well? Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, we are pretty uh, 
active on Instagram and Facebooks and Twitter. Um, I have just my own, really, my Facebook. Um, and, you know, we're constantly posting all the new stuff we're doing with as a band and through Tipitina. So, um, yeah, just keep up with us there. We also have a website, galacticfunk.com. And, um, and hopefully we'll be updating it with some tour dates at some point. Yeah, tour dates that don't have to be uh, rescheduled. Yeah, some real, real tour dates. Yeah. Yeah. Well, awesome. Robert, thank you so much for spending this time. Thank you for all the great music through the years. And I wish you nothing but further continued success. Thank you, Scott. It was really nice to talk to you, man. Really nice to meet you. Thanks for being such a longtime supporter. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.